One of the things I like to do on Christian Doctors Digest is not only educate, but to motivate and inspire. And I don't think anything does that better than the lives of those people that we highly respect, that have lived an exemplary life of service and who've been a role model for all of us. That's why I wanted to interview Dr. Bob Schindler before he passed away. As many of you heard, he went home to his heavenly reward just a few months ago in August. And at our national meeting last year, I got a moment to sit down with Bob and just uh, have him relate his testimony, his life story about his years in Liberia as a missionary doctor at Elwa Hospital, the hospital that he founded, about his service to CMDA on the Board of Trustees and as president and president of the International Christian Medical and Dental Association, his vision for teaching other doctors uh, through COAMIA, the Commission on International Medical Education Affairs, which he helped found. Uh, he put this together so he could reach out and bring national doctors to Christ. You know, the key word in both he and Marion's ministry has been relationships. Uh, he's encouraged others through relationships, his patients, his colleagues, uh, people like you and me. And most of all, he's tried to bring people into a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. I think it's wonderful that we have this recording that reminds us of this wonderful man's life to encourage and inspire us as we serve the Lord. Bob, you've had an unbelievable life, and I want you to share that with our members. I mean, how did this incredible journey that God has given you in so many different areas of ministry begin? Tell me about your parents and your young life. Okay, thank you, David. I uh, sit back and reflect, and I wonder the same thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you see the decisions that you make at certain ages in your life, how important they are, and how they change the direction of your life. And I was brought up in a Christian home. My father was a Christian businessman. But you know, it's a very interesting thing. There were three things I never wanted to be. One was a preacher, a missionary, or a Christian worker of any kind. It was sort of unwritten in our home that uh, that's for somebody else. Is I that because of your dad's business Yeah, background? business and uh, just sort of, uh, I think, a lot of Christian families, a lot of mm-hmm. doctors' families. You get caught up in the materialism. You get caught up. It's a subtle thing. Mm-hmm. My dad was Sunday school superintendent of our church in our town for 30 years and uh, you know, very uh, uh, successful and really uh, lived for the Sunday school and people coming to Christ. I had an aunt that was a missionary in the Congo, but we never heard about it. Of course, Mm -hmm. communications were different. Mm -hmm. And I trusted Christ as uh, my Savior at the age of nine. But it was my senior year in high school that T.W. Wilson came to our town. I know T.W. Right. And uh, he uh, just graduated from high school. They had me pick him up for the Youth for Christ meeting and went out to supper. And he spoke that night. And uh, I don't remember anything he said, but... He gave the call for dedication for Christian service, and I went forward. Wow. And yet that was one of the hardest things I told my dad, that uh, you know I was going to go into Christian service. And the folks were sympathetic, this type of thing. But there's sort of that, Im- uh, we don't give the option mm-hmm. to uh, our children to consider Christian service. 
I'm so thankful my own boys are want to go into Christian service. And I think families and Christian families have to make it an option. Mm-hmm. And, and be enthusiastic uh, about it. And be enthusiastic it. about it, right. Yeah. I remember as a boy, preachers coming to my house and seeing my dad and talking with him. And then when they leave, he'd give them $5 or $10. Mm-hmm. This would be in the 30s or 40s. That was, you know, a lot of money. And, sure. And that was my impression. But then uh, I went away to, to Wheaton College, and I was going to be a medical missionary if I got in medical school. But you didn't if wait not, till you got to the mission field to start ministering. No. The night before I was to go back to Wheaton for my third year, uh, I told my mother if I got in medical school, I would go into medical missions. If not, I'd consider maybe business here in the States. And the next morning, I got a phone call that changed my life. Hmm. And it was from Bill Fazig, who uh, was with Billy Graham for many years now. And he asked if I would take a year off college, this was in 1950, and go out to New York City with the Word of Life Hour and mm-hmm. sing with a Wheaton Quartet that year. Hmm. And that was a year that changed my life because I found there was excitement, there's enthusiasm, and it paid to serve Jesus. So you were singing on the radio, you were touring and going to crusades? And- oh, oh, yeah, we had the, it was great. And, uh, and that's before we had the word mentoring. Yeah. I mean, we were packed in a, a six-passenger Chrysler car going all over the United States, and uh, we really caught what it was to serve Christ. So you were hearing Jack Wurtzen preach a lot. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we... uh, Probably heard some of his sermons two or three times. Oh, yeah. Even uh, 20 years later, we heard the same sermons. (laughs) That was great because... uh, But he had a real impact, and we learned the faith. And then um, I went back from a third year at Wheaton, and then the opportunity came back to sing again on weekends. And then uh, I went to medical school in New York and went out to Michigan for my internship and residency. The fellow that I followed in the um, second Word of Life Quartet was a guy by the name of Dick Reed. And he and his wife went out in 1952 to Liberia to uh, start the radio station ELWA, Eternal Mm. Love Winning Africa. And so um, we had a doctor from Ethiopia come by to see us. And he tried to get us to go to Ethiopia with SIM, mm-hmm. and, and uh, it didn't seem to strike anything. But as he's leaving, he mentioned they were looking for a doctor in Liberia. Well, that strung a, a bell because um, Dick, we had followed and uh, followed their work. In fact, my wife saw him off at the boat uh, in 52. And so we rode out to Liberia and asked uh, if they needed a doctor. And, uh, I bet you they liked getting that letter. <laughs> yes, they did. And they said they didn't know what it meant, but they'd been praying for three years for Wow. For a doctor. What was Liberia like when you got there? It's about the same uh, as, it is as now. now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, it was an exciting time because the whole country was developing. Mm-hmm. Now, Liberia, of course, with the war, this type of thing, it, it's a much different situation. But, you know, they were just putting electricity into the country. They were developing the roads. We were all part of an exciting time. The radio station was new. And so we went out to build and staff and equip the Elwha Hospital. Yeah, so you and, started uh, it. We started it. They had wow. a they had a clinic going with uh, some missionary nurses that were w- uh, wives of the uh, radio technicians. They were seeing a thousand patients a month, but I didn't realize till I got there that the patients came back every day. So then, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was an exciting time. How do you start building a hospital? I mean, uh, you had to raise funds, you had to drop plans, you had to find other staff. I mean, that sounds like an enormous job. Well, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. What we learned was that we had the gift of faith. You know, everyone wants to find their gifts. And uh, I think you just get do- doing the work, and you'll soon find out what gifts you have. Yeah. 
it's a miracle story how the Elwha Hospital got started. The Back of the Bible broadcast in Lincoln, Nebraska, their missions director, G. Christian Weiss, was uh, waylaid in Liberia uh, for two extra days. He was going up to North Africa. And so they showed him the project that the government had given extra land for the hospital. He was interested because of the North Africa connection. And he said, well, the back of the Bible probably take one wing of the hospital on by faith. And that mm, was To raise ten, the funds. Yeah, that was $10,000. We thought we could build a hospital for $35,000 in those <laughs> well, days. Well, could have been that yeah, good in those right. days. Anyway... They took on by faith, and in August of uh, 1962, my wife and I went out to Lincoln, and they were interviewing us like we are yeah. now. And I thought, well, probably they'll get 3000 but not uh, 10000 And the 1st of September came. Ray Delahaye, the general manager at Elwell, wrote and said, thanks be to God for doing much more than we could ever ask or think, Ephesians 3.20. He said, it doesn't look like we're able to send uh, 10000 as we promised, but and I saw three out of thirty, not thirty thousand. Wow! And uh, what happened was the listeners sent in ten thousand. A farmer in Nebraska sold his farm, and went with a tithe at that time and gave a second wing of the Elwha Hospital. Wow! And then a black Christian lady, eighty-nine years old, in Edna, Texas, heard about it, and uh, she wanted to send in the third wing. Wow. And she said her husband had got his money in real estate, and the devil had it long enough. Now she wanted the <laughs> Lord to have it. <laughs> and uh, she That's was a, great. a retired school teacher. And then when she heard that it didn't equip it, she sent an initial 5000 to equip it. So um, that was $35,000 and this sacrificial gift from this uh, Christian lady. You had to supervise construction oh, and yeah, yeah. make the plans? And... Yeah, we... Uh, you know, one great thing, SIM gave us all a free hand. The, the administration was behind it, and we had a great time, great opportunity. I knew nothing about building a hospital. I just got off a surgery residency. But we had to adapt to the, the tropics and mm-hmm. where we were. We didn't come up with a plan, so my wife said, well, why don't you let me try I know just as much as these guys on the hospital committee. See, we didn't have any women on the committee. <laughs> That's <laughs> a we mistake. Were showing us. Yeah, right. So in an hour and a half, she came up with a basic idea. Wow. And it went forward. How many beds? We had 30 beds. Yeah. Yeah, at the wow. start. Yeah. And But we fixed it so we could expand within so the mission wouldn't know that we were expanding. Because <laughs> we knew it was uh, enough to uh, uh, didn't even build a hospital, right? Yeah. So then uh, the money started to come out, and I said, boy, if someone would give me $20,000, that'd be 55000 we could stop using faith, use our brains, and we'd have this thing done. Huh. And then the Lord said, no. He said, uh, the children of Israel, when they uh, went uh, and were satisfied with uh, the manna, the Lord blessed them. Hmm. But then they quail, they would become dissatisfied. He said, no. And I figured if I was dumb enough to go out with a faith outfit, then I'd be dumb enough to enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that you can understand that coming sure. from Tenwick. So the, the money just kept coming in. Huh. And at $55,000, we were still, um, you know, $10,000 from uh, being finished. And you remember seeing in Africa all these unfinished homes. Right. Uh, that's what would have been at the hospital. But we finished and had it staffed, equipped, uh, miracle story after miracle how the equipment came in. We had $65,000 in and had $2,000 to start operating. Wow. And we went continuously until 1990. This is 1965. Went continuously until 1990 when the war came where mm-hmm. they had to shut down for a little bit. 
Then at, at, uh, the hospital grew until uh, they had a budget over a million dollars a year. And you couldn't prove on paper how, how you could do it. Yeah. But, uh, what lessons did the Lord teach you during those days? I think the lesson was, uh, again, the excitement he will provide. That, uh, excitement of faith and that's walk, right. that walk that's and seeing right. him do it. And uh, my God shall supply all your needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't be afraid to step out. Of course, that was the lessons I learned from being with Word of Life sure. or uh, with Jack Wurtzen. We, we were always running, <laughs> running behind it. You can appreciate that. He was always had another idea for something oh, yeah, he wanted to yeah. do. You know, I, would, I came back on my first furlough, and um, we'd built a hospital for uh, 65000 and that was really a nice modern hospital. I mean, to replace it now, it costs much, much more. But um, I went down to World Life uh, Ranch, and he showed me a new chalet that he was building that cost 65000 <laughs> And, uh, and uh, your first reaction was, oh, boy, that's not, I could build a whole hospital yeah. for that. Yeah. But then I said, no, the Lord surprised to promise your needs. Yeah. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And what's your needs right now for for Liberia was different than what their needs were from here. It's sure. just the same way with uh, Christian Medical yeah. Association right now. The needs that you have right now and the opportunities and the the uh, communications uh, opportunities uh, are a lot different than what it would be uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so that's, that's the lesson to learn, not to be jealous of other people who might have, but to rejoice with them what the needs are. How the family adjusts when the kids start coming along? I mean, a lot of well, people wonder about raising kids overseas, and you did some of that. Yes, it was an ideal spot. I mean, we were, of course, uh, after we were accepted by we by the mission, we didn't realize they had a school there for the children, mm-hmm. and it was right on the Atlantic Ocean, Wow! and it was an English-speaking country. Yeah. So those were blessings. We didn't go there because of that. Otherwise, right. we'd have felt guilty because <laughs> we were <laughs> we were known as the country club. Of, yeah, the country uh, club of missions. Mission. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, other people come from up country down, you know, and they'd come to town. They'd come out and see us, and of course, so... Uh, it was the only safe beach in that area. Wow. And so, uh, well, I know they put the radio station there because that's where they get the best signals that's near right. the ocean. That's exactly right. So the kids really had an ideal spot for mm-hmm. living. Did you have they them before you went? or Yeah, they, we had, they were two and four. Well, yeah. Two boys, they were two and four when they went there. So they went to school in the morning. Then they could play all afternoon, and um, it was really ideal. Tell me some stories of things God did while you were there, some of the patients you took care of or interesting things. We always like to hear a good missionary surgery yeah. story or something. <laughs> well, you know, the first uh, three years while we were building the hospital, we had a bush clinic. Yeah. So I'd make house calls out in the uh, area, and that was probably one of the best things that could uh, happen. That Build was the day before. Yes. And also, that was the day before um, you had community health. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is what you're doing now. So I would go out in the bush, and they would call me, and, and we'd go in, and that's where I learned where the people were, what challenges they had. And I remember even being allowed to go in the uh, devil bush and deliver a baby one night that was in trouble. Those were invaluable. And then also developing relationships with the people. Sure. And then being close to the capital, we took care of people of all walks of life. Mm-hmm. In a small country, you didn't know who was related to who. Yeah. And so you just treated everyone, as I told people, the hospital is open for people for whom Christ died. Hmm. If Christ didn't die for the person, then don't treat him. And uh, <laughs> that made a big difference when you realize that God loved that person who might have been sick for many weeks uh, just as much as he loved me who wanted sleep. And hmm. uh, so that, those are uh, some of the lessons. Um, so we had the hospital open, and 
we had an x-ray machine, all this. I was really thankful. We were really quite uh, modern on it. We had a lady come in who had a big uh, abdomen. It was obviously uh, probably an ovarian cyst. So we operated upon her, but I realized it wasn't an ovarian. It was a dead fetus. It was a mummified wow. pregnancy of 11 months. Wow. And uh, so we took it out, and here it was a primary pregnancy of the ovary that wow. uh, died. And so um, a Liberian surgeon and myself, who uh, we both came back to Liberia. I came as a new person. He came back home uh, at the same time, and we were real close friends. And we'd always host the Liberian Medical Association meeting. And we always have a traveling guest uh, come by. One year, we had Dr. Wangenstein from Minnesota as our guest. And he had uh, Dr. Guttmacher, who uh, John Patrick uh, mm-hmm. mentioned uh, the other night. Guttmacher Institute, yeah, Planned right. Parenthood. And, and all at that, that time, he was a big guru in, uh, in OB-GYN and, as his guest. And so he spoke, and then we presented this case. <laughs> and uh, he looked at it, and he said, that's a primary pregnancy in the ovary. He said he had never seen anything like that before. Wow. And here I was just a young buck. <laughs> and, uh, we, uh, so that was uh, some of the interesting. And then... Uh, the ectopic pregnancies, uh, you can appreciate right. that in uh, Tenwick. Uh, you know, I think we operate on one of the 1.8 hemoglobin, and uh, yeah. they make it, of course. And we did the uh, auto transfusions way before uh, we started even doing them in the States. I remember sucking it out of the belly and giving it back to them through a filter. That's right. That's the only blood you had to give them. Right, and it saved a lot of lives. Yeah. Right. So uh, I think the big thing was um, to have missionary radio with missionary medicine. Mm-hmm. It was a real great combination. And we built a hospital to have speakers at every bedside. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so they could listen to Elwa the whole time uh, they'd be in the hospital. And to see people come and they'd say, well, it was like a retreat. And to uh, see people come to faith in Jesus Christ is terrific. How long were you at Elwa? We were there 13 years. Wow. And uh, we came home twice in 13 years. Hmm. Uh no four-year terms or three-year terms. Yeah, it was four-year, <laughs> but if you get one year off, yeah. yeah. But uh, then the mission changed your policy that you go home every two years. Huh. And uh, I felt like a martyr because <laughs> some people going back uh, while I was still there. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think the lessons of faith and uh, the challenges of realizing it's God's work and God will supply. I think one of the joys of missionary medicine is that walk by faith. You get to exercise your faith all the time. That's right. And uh, you should do it and enjoy it. Yeah. And uh, some people never catch that. Right. And I think that's the most important thing to tell people going out to the field. Mm-hmm. Some people say, oh, they want to go with a group that will supply all their needs. Well, that's great. I think we get in um, a trap sometimes of thinking if you go with a faith operation that you're a little extra edge on God. Mm. But God supplies all needs. And if you go with the denomination, that need is supplied. If you go with a faith uh, group that will be supplied i think to be where god wants you to be and we were called the alwa and uh the hardest thing we did was to come back in the we'll 75 say. for yeah. our children's educational need and yeah. our older boy with a learning disability but yet it was the best thing mm-hmm. because as we came back it passed the work on to others yeah and then when you went back you were welcome and you never tried to control it so what'd you do when you came home i well, mean how do you get back into american medicine 13 years of cutting out the primary ovarian pregnancies yeah, and right. ectopics and all the excitement, and all of a sudden you're back in American medicine. Yeah, that's and that's a, a burden that I have for missionary doctors is mm-hmm. to readjust mm-hmm. how to come in. And when you come in, you can either rebel or retreat or readjust. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, some doctors will come back and they'll, they won't want to get into medicine here. Well, that's bad because you're cut off professionally. Right. Others try to rebel and say, what do you mean I can't do a hysterectomy? I did hundreds in, yeah. in uh, Africa. And here the gynecologists, uh, you know, they're doing it. Or eye, even ophthalmology, eye surgery. I was fortunate. I um, had two years of preceptorship that I needed for my eligibility for surgery boards. Mm-hmm. And so I came to southwestern Michigan, uh, which, which later became Southwestern Medical Clinic, mm. and uh, got one year of preceptorship, my first furlough. And uh, then four years later came back and got my uh, second year, and then I was eligible to take my boards. Mm. I think it's very important for missionary doctors, for anybody, any missionary, when they come back home, to do something to better themselves. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the continued medical education is, is uh, and uh, to get into a fellowship or a residence where you can update your skills, mm-hmm. to be ready to be a world Christian in both worlds. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to go back to Africa and adjust right. there, but it's getting tougher to get in here. And this is where the CME uh, or CMD of uh, the Christian Medical Society has been such a blessing to the, the medical missionaries. And uh, you can see when they come to the conferences how they just uh, soak it up. So there's very few opportunities uh, to do that. Tell us about Southwest Medical Clinic. You mentioned that, and some people may not be familiar with it. That's a very unique group that you've been associated with for over 20 years. Right. We're a group of uh, Christian doctors who are interested in medical missions. And uh, most of us were medical missionaries at the early days. Mm -hmm. And we started out working for the Berrien County Hospital and employees of the county. None of us thought we would be here this long. And uh, Dr. Weldon Cook uh, started the group, and then others of us came on who were the senior members. It was to help missionary doctors uh, come back and have a place to practice and then go in deputation and and be ready to to go back and update skills. But back in 1972 and 75, 66, you know, the county hospitals like New Orleans, where you could do everything. Mm-hmm. Now it's even, you know, getting more difficult. So actually, we then became a private group. And then we grew because so we had missionary doctors who had to come back home mm-hmm. who uh, for different reasons. And so uh, this was during the oil crisis. And um, instead of building a big building, uh, that was a discussion we had in the early days, uh, we went into the small towns in, the, in our county and without anyone knowing, we were infiltrating the whole area mm. with primary care. That grew from uh, four of us. Uh, now we have uh, over uh, almost 50 doctors and wow. all specialties. And, uh, you know, uh, doctors that are called to come to practice, uh, either to go into short-term medical missions or missionary doctors who we helped uh, to get ready to go to the field or, or rehabilitate when they come back in. And then we have some that come to be involved in domestic missions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, uh, these practice of faith and the lessons of faith you learn in Liberia, that applied to our work here. Well, I think those doctors don't take a normal salary and use some of that money for other purposes once you mention that. What we do, we tithe 10% mm-hmm. of our gross income mm-hmm. every month. For a while, we were doing a lot more. We were too dumb to know that expenses that uh, it costs uh, – when our missionary or when our doctors go on mission trips, we were taking that out of general fund. Hmm. Uh, but gradually, we got this uh, sophisticated enough, and so we have this missions fund that we um, use and uh, and it also helps support we, doctors overseas long term. Yeah, support doctors. You can support your mission trips. You help with projects, yeah. and uh, that's once we want to develop even more is yeah. to be able to 
to help with that. We also have a, a scholarship fund that we're giving uh, once a year to, to medical, twice a year to medical students to uh, help with uh, mission trips overseas. Now, it just wasn't helping rehabilitate doctors. You've been involved in missions in a lot of other ways. Why don't well, you mention some of those? Well, right. In 1983, Jim Peterson uh, called me and asked if I'd be willing to run as president-elect of uh, Christian Medical Society. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize until he wrote the history book how bad CFS was. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rob was there at that Yeah. I mean, if I didn't... I, I mean, if you'd if known, I'd you wouldn't have that. accepted. Yeah, right. But again, you know, there's an open door right. for service. And with the consent of the group, uh, they said, yeah, that would be great. So that opened a worldwide ministry. Hmm. I got involved with uh, Christian Medical Society. I'd been a member, but as a missionary member, mm-hmm. and appreciated what uh, MAP and and others uh, have done to help the hospital, that opened a wide ministry and friendships around the world. Hmm. And then through uh, through the ministry of CMS in those days, we got a vision that CMS was medicine with a ministry, mm-hmm. a ministry to students, a ministry to graduates, and a ministry to the world. Mm-hmm. From that, we were involved with the International Christian Medical Association, and uh, the greatest joy is to see national Christian physicians being involved in uh, Grabbing hold of the vision and run with it themselves. Right, right. And uh, last year, a year ago, I was in Kenya, and to see what uh, they're doing at Tenwick and how the Christian doctors, uh, the Kenyan doctors, are taking mm-hmm. hold. Uh, that, that's that's what turns turns me on. Right? Yeah, missionaries to their own people. Right. It's exciting. Well, tell us a little bit about COAMIA, Commission on International Medical Education. You've been kind of the pioneer with that group. Well, you know, as Marion said to spouses group yesterday. She married a husband that can't say no. <laughs> and I think you, you can appreciate that. Yeah, right? I've, I've been accused of the same. Right. And uh, so uh, in 1987, when I finished as president of Christian Medical Society, Dr. Roberto Rodriguez from Mexico said, why doesn't Christian Medical Society of the United States help us doctors in lesser developed countries by sending their doctors and uh, by... Uh, helping, updating them, and encouraging them in the walk of faith and the update of medicine. So that uh, was a challenge, and uh, we said, we'll pray about it. We went to the uh, CME Commission, who felt they had their hands full with mm-hmm. uh, the CME for uh, expatriates and medical missionaries. We went to the uh, the old MGM at that time, and they said, no, they're the doers. And so we, we had this ad hoc committee on uh, education of nationals, basically. And then through our contacts, through the International Christian Medical and and Keith Saunders in London gave us names of people, we uh, contacted for opportunities around the world. And then in the meantime, that's when the Iron Curtain came down and the whole thing exploded. And so uh, we've been involved where we're sending teams. A very f- my, my vision, uh, of course, was that we'd have teams of two to four mm-hmm. because a lot of these countries couldn't handle... Uh, mm-hmm. big teams. But we vary from uh, academic teams that will go put on a conference that make 10, 12 people or more, and then uh, people will go with two people at a time and one and one. And our goal is uh, is to they go back to the same place mm-hmm. and uh, let them get out there and let the bug bite them, and, and then uh, they catch a mission. They kind of adopt that uh, culture, that group to That's reach out right. to. And and this is really a means to evangelism. I mean, it's not just education. That, that's what it is. That's right. And then also you see how many of these people 
in these different countries are evangelizing in ways that we learn mm-hmm. and exciting. I'm in uh, Russia, I was in a conference three years ago, and and I learned how this one doctor, he's a surgeon, but he looked like he was a farmer with uh, uh, hands just as uh, callous. Callous, you're right. And uh, he, I mean, he'd be the last person I'd pick out as a surgeon. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, he developed a, a ministry to alcoholics. Hmm. And uh, nobody gave him any instructions, and he had manuals and this type of thing. And uh, it really was exciting to see the different ways, uh, creative ways. And that's what I look for when I go around the world, is uh, see the creative ways that people are witnessing for Christ. People that go out with COMEA, do they have to be academic docs, somebody teaching in a medical school? No. No. Uh, we like we have all, all levels, mm-hmm. and uh, it varies. Uh, we have places where we put in the academic docs. And again, it's interesting. Just like when we started in '88 um, uh, with the ad hoc committee, now the same countries want to have more sophisticated knowledge. For example, our teams that we send to Poland, they want people who have done the research and mm-hmm. this type of thing. But then we'll send people to rural India, or we'll send people uh, to Africa, and, and a good community uh, doctor, uh, a specialist in family practice and surgery, urology, they can go and do a one-on-one uh, teaching. and uh, mm-hmm. So there's opportunities for all. And I think this holds some people back thinking that uh, they have to be an academic right. to do it. And uh, that's not true at all. And there's a lot of good bedside teachers. Yeah. And, uh, and I think the big thing is mentoring. Let the uh, national doctors see what it is to be a Christian doctor. Mm-hmm. And I encourage them to take the spouse along because uh, you want to see the relationship with a spouse and the doctor together. And, the big uh, testimony. Yes, that's right. And uh, that's where I was so thrilled about the Marriage Commission going internationally because there's a great need for that. Looking back, Bob, on this wonderful, fruitful life God's given you, what would you say to our members? What lessons have you learned? What principles? What What would you say? I mean, you've got experience that I don't have and many other people don't have. You've been down the road a lot longer than most of us. What would you turn back and say to us as we come along? My uh, senior year of high school, even before I dedicated my life for Christian service, I was asked to give a testimony, and I needed a Bible verse. (laughs) (laughs) And so my sister gave me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Mm -hmm. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And look for the closed and open doors. Mm-hmm. And don't wait till you have a, all your ducks in order. Mm-hmm. And uh, take that step of faith. As uh, Jim Jewell said this morning at our conference, just do it. Yeah. And if the door is open, God will supply. And so I think be willing to step out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have many people who want to get this, get this, go a little bit farther. You'll never be prepared to go to the mission field. Absolutely. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's no, there's no dozen residencies that's going to get you prepared. That's right. So I think the principle is be dumb enough to trust Christ. Yeah. And be dumb enough to take that walk of faith. And then that's brilliance. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, as the doors open, then walk by faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, trust then, the Lord. Trust the Lord. And then enjoy the excitement when He supplies the needs. And mm-hmm. as you know, there's a lot of pain. Oh, but yeah. fortunately, we. Uh, we forget the pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we should have kept a diary. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I mean, we made every mistake in the book, and, and yet... Uh, God uses you. Yes, that's right. And he knows your heart. Yeah. And uh, go now while you're young. Mm-hmm. And that's where we, I was privileged to have a group 
that we were involved where we could be involved in, in medical missions now. Yeah. Now, we might not have it down the road, but do it now because yeah. you may have health problems. You may have ways that... Uh, family issues. Family issues, that's right. And I think it's the unusual person that can go for a whole lifetime in the mission field. Mm -hmm. That's the blessing of a person that can do that. But others are called home for different reasons, different ministries. And so I think do it now and then enjoy it. And make plans in your practice to have time for ministry. And that's one of the exciting things about our group was that we have doctors that are involved with different ministries. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of our doctors is involved with the Boy Scouts in the town. Another is an assistant football coach on the uh, high school football team. He's a real jock type guy. And others are involved in uh, domestic missions, and uh, others go on short-term missions. And mm-hmm. I think you do it now and take advantage. Well, Bob, your life has been a wonderful testimony to me. You're one of those giants that I admire so much. And uh, and I know you don't look for that role, but you've had that role because God's worked in you and through you. You've mentored me, you've mentored many others, and I just want to thank you for the example that you've given me and, and to many in this organization uh, to to incorporate in your life, to embody what it means to be a a Christian physician and love the Lord and follow Him. Uh, Thank you for your faithfulness. Well, thank you. Appreciate it very much. And we're not aware of it. I think of the giants, you know. (laughs) And uh, David, you're one of the giants coming up. We just praise the Lord to see how you're stepping out by faith in what's happening with uh, CMDA right now and uh, taking advantage of the electronic media and uh, the opportunities that we have now. And uh, we just praise the Lord for the ministry. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Isn't that just like Bob Schindler? You know, you try to compliment him and he turns around and compliments you. What a wonderful man who inspired and encouraged me personally in so many ways. And what a wonderful example of God's grace in someone's life. In fact, you may want to get a copy of the book that Bob and Marion Schindler put together, which tells the history of the Christian Medical Association. It's called Following the Great Physician. And it's an excellent chronology of how God has worked in this organization. Lots of stories, pictures, anecdotes uh, which uh, encourage and inspire you and tell you a lot more about this organization that you belong to. It's available through our Life and Health resource line. 